Hello? Bill? Oh, there's no Bill. Bill? Bill? You've got something written down here about licorice for a change. I know, right? <laughs> Breaking from the usual form. Uh, yeah, we got an email uh, from an Alexander uh, Mukolov, I believe. Mm-hmm. And he has a short licorice anecdote that I wanted to share. Okay. So from the email, uh, he says, I was working in Italy in an ice cream shop, in brackets, a Galateria. That sounds wonderful. It does, doesn't it? And about every 10 days, I had to go and do a new portion of the licorice ice cream. Now, can we all take a second here and just just don't let those words sink in? Licorice ice cream. Anyways, he goes on and says, I hated it. <laughs> when you need to mix the licorice dust with some hot water, it gets so messy. You start inhaling this dust, feeling it in your mouth without tasting it, and later... When I was putting it in the containers, I needed to add some pieces of licorice on top of the ice cream. So my hands and everything around always got sticky. This made me hate licorice. Even though the ice cream itself wasn't so bad. The end. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that. And it's, it's this thing where it's like, I, I was reading that and I was like, I don't understand. I don't understand what about this isn't the ideal scenario. <laughs> Being like semi-submerged in like a vat of ice cream, throwing licorice bits around the place. It's great. <laughs> yeah, but making everything sticky is horrible. Yeah, but like like licorice sticky. You see, the thing is the licorice makes everything better. It's like that thing, Bill, you know, if you put the word laser in front of anything, that something gets automatically cooler. It's the same thing. Like you can take any laser podcast. Laser exactly, laser podcast. Uh, you take anything and put the word licorice in front of it and it automatically becomes tasty and wonderful. A fact, truth. It's part of the rules of the internet, you know, so. <laughs> anyway, shout out to Alexander there. That was an awesome email and I it made me laugh, so I wanted to chuck it. Thank you for the story. Yeah, it was really good. <laughs> Alright, so what else, Bill? Well, let's let's talk about the comments from the from the last episode a little from from the from the Reddit. Did you did you see them? They were crazy. Uh yeah, we got tons. I think that's probably our our most comments ever by a country mile, like a huge huge chunk. We had like a hundred and seventy odd uh, comments, mm-hmm. which is huge. And this is testament again to the fact that whenever Eric Lang does something for me, it goes really well for Edgar. And then Eric gets little to no payback off it. <laughs> I don't know, Eric. Apparently, some members of the uh, of Artifexia bought some books off Eric, which was awesome. Oh, nice one! Yeah, he said he saw a spike in traffic um, for his book, uh, so that was that was great. I felt really good about that. But yeah, 170 odd comments, and it was great. So I just want to thank the population of Artifexia again because. It was just awesome. And both me and you, I think we really got stuck in last month. Like, it was really good. In the comments? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, very much there's so. bits where I was like, oh, I'll leave this bit. Bill's got that. And Bill's off in one corner having another conversation. I'm off in one corner having another conversation. And it's like, it really was this feeling of like, we're all in a room together, like discussing nerd stuff. It was, oh, it was awesome. I really enjoyed and- it. There was a pretty lengthy comment thread with uh, two members not actually talking to us at all, but just talking to each other about conlanging, which was pretty great to see. Yeah. So a little, a little community forming without our input. Exactly. I always encourage that. Like even on YouTube as well, if I see that that thing has started, I don't step in. I'm just like, no, you go for it. You you do do your thing. Um. So yeah, it was great. Just that was 
incredibly awesome to see that comment thread. So thanks a lot to everyone in Artifexia. Oh, speaking of the comment thread, Bill. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should probably mention the heraldic description of the beautiful flag of Fez Boulamain. Agreed. Yes, we definitely should. So uh, this was Zithro on on the thread for the last episode. Thank you very much, Zithro, who pointed out that the seal of Febulamon actually breaks a bunch of the rules, you know, strictly speaking from a heraldic point of view, and is not strictly blazonable. But they had a stab at describing it. So it goes something along the lines of Vert, a bend azure, in the dexter base, the outline of a horse rampant ghouls, in the sinister sheaf, the outline of a mountain sable. <laughs> that is amazing. I love the way humans have this, have developed this language. Does that mean anything to you, Bill? Do any of those words mean anything to you? I I um some of the colours. <laughs> and I, I know what a horse is, um, and I know what like rampant means, and like dexter and sinister. I, but, I mean, well, I now know what a rampant is, but I do not know what a dexter or sinister is. What what are they? Dexter means left or means right, and sinister means left. Oh, yeah. Oh, so dexter base would mean like left, bottom left. The bottom right. Oh, bottom right. Sorry, yeah, but the base would mean the bottom. Oh, I assume so. Why don't they just say left and right? Because they they didn't use those words in Latin, I guess. Oh, is that what's going on? I see. I don't know about how this language developed at all. Like it's 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 just it's just a, a particular terminology. Like oh. it's it's just it's just kind of a professional jargon. It is really cool though. Like, yeah. This sort of thing. It's it's like real life Star Trek techno babble. That actually functions. It's great. I love it. And so it's not like Techno Bible because it does mean something. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like that sort of that sort of style, like. But yeah, Dexter and Sinister. So dexterous, as in, you know, nimble and agile, comes from that. And sinister comes from left, because people who were left-handed weren't trustworthy. Oh, oh and, yeah. And like they were clumsy, but if you were right-handed, you were dexterous. Oh. That's yeah. Oh, there you go. Ah. Now, I don't know if that's definitely the case, but I'm pretty sure it's the case, and it's certainly a widely accepted folk etymology, so... Wow, that's really cool. That is really yeah. cool. I'm going to go look into this heraldic thing a little bit more. I... Well, I mean, that that's more general than heraldic, that's what I just specifically said. But... No, I know, but, like, based yeah. off based off this, like, I, I think I am. Um, yeah, it's cool. So thank you to... Who was the Redditor who dropped it? Zithro. Yeah, thank you to Zithro for throwing that in, because that, that is beyond our skill to muster up... <laughs> And so, do we have do we have anything else noteworthy to talk about in the comments? There were people suggesting what uh, the best bones to inject the X substance from Dagger would be. Uh, someone suggested the tiny bones in your ears, which is horrific. <laughs> and then there was, uh, we had fingers. You Or you had the fingers from last time. We had someone say the sternum would be a good idea. And then someone mm-hmm. said about injecting into, like, your sinuses. In particular, they said cephanoid sinuses. Now, I don't know what that is. I don't know if that differs from normal sinuses. But boy, is that body horror. Like, regardless of whether or not it, it's bone or not, that is that is extremely gruesome. Like, injecting into the ducts in your face. Like, that is well, awesome. Let's look it up. Where are your sphenoid sinuses? Yeah, they look like... Conta- oh, well, they're contained within the body of the sphenoid. Thanks, Google. <laughs> That's that's helpful. Grr, Google. 
It was like the time that I, I came across a word I didn't know where in when I was reading a novel on my Kindle, and Kindle is great that it has a dictionary. So you just like press down on the word, and it comes up with a dictionary definition. Mm-hmm. Now you know I read a lot of this um, historical naval fiction, which is full of words that aren't in the dictionary because no one uses them anymore, and they've got like very specific meanings. But this word did. It was unshriven. 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 I was like, oh, I, I don't know what that means, so I went to look it up. And the Kindle definition dictionary was not shriven. <laughs> yeah, thanks. That's that is real helpful. Okay. Well, what is? Did you find out what shriven is? I did, and now I cannot remember. So, uh, I guess uh, thereby disproving the old saying "live and learn." Um, shriven. Let's go oh, to the dictionary. That's well, hang on, hang on. Don't get don't get uh, off track with your sinuses here. I told you, they're in the sphenoid. Oh, right, yeah, that's of course, yeah. <laughs> the sphenoid bone is kind of, like, between the eye and the temple, I think. You see, isn't that, isn't that gruesome-like? Yeah. That is really that's cool. That's horrific. So, while you're looking up the definition of shriven, uh, as arbiter of the canon for dagger, I am going to say, kind of what you said last time, all injection points are kind of valid. You can inject wherever. There can be multiple injection points. The canonical ones thus far have been the ones we've mentioned. Fingers, sternum, uh, the cephnoid sinuses, the tiny, and the tiny ear bones. They are the canonical ones. And not the femur? Uh, yeah, and not the femur. Because do you know what? The, the, other, the other four or five, one, two, three, four. The other four are way more gruesome. Okay. You want to just get a. You want to basically you want to compile a list of the most gory places to inject and just have them be canonical. Okay. Yeah. So shriven means um, to have been forgiven in confession or to have been absolved. Oh. Of your sins, I guess. Okay. Oh, so like before you go to confession, if you're religious and you go to confession, you are unshriven, and then you depart shriven. I guess, yeah. Um, cool, that's cool. We all we all learned something today, Bill. We all learned something today. <laughs> oh, oh, Jesus, Bill! Something just popped in my head. I need to talk to you about. This isn't on the show notes. Okay, go for but it. I'm gonna I'm gonna chuck it in. Well, I, I don't know, Edgar. I don't know if we can. I don't know if we can vary from the show notes once we've started. <laughs> I mean, this was your this was your bailiwick, and you you didn't include us. Just I don't know. sneakily edit the Google Doc. <laughs> 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 I have I have quit smoking recently. Oh, so you have, yeah. Yeah. Congrats, dude. Uh, thank you. Well, let's not call it as fully quit, because you never know. It's, it's been, as of yesterday, it's been two weeks. Yeah. So it's not like I'm done for life, but I'm hoping to get there. As a result, whenever I became anxious or grumpy or felt like I wanted to kill everything and everyone around me, I decided... You did. I you did. let you you let yourself you let your dark side take over, and you became anxious and grumpy and killed everyone around you. That's ex- essentially what <laughs> what I'm doing is I am offering up my story so that you will have me leave this podcast re- recording completely shriven. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, when I was all anxious and grumpy and stuff, I just left the house. Yeah, and went for uh, went for walks. And that was my thing. Just walk until I felt better, and um. Some of these walks got really lengthy, like in the order of like 10, 11, 12 kilometers. Just like, just walk down the road, just keep going. And then whenever I felt better, just make my way back. To make the time pass, I started reading, in quotes, listening to the audio book of the first novel of the Wheel of Time series. Oh, cool. 
I need to I need to ask something here, Bill. Yeah. About it. Uh, you, you, you've read them all, haven't you? Nope. Have you've read majority of them? You have. I haven't. Re- I haven't read the last one. Okay. You, so you know about this, yeah? Okay. Yeah. That first book. Do you think it's a good book? Yes. Yes. Can you qualify why? Sets up strong characters. Um, sets up an interesting world. Uh, the way that the characters have their plan and the way in which it goes wrong, I think, is 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 interesting. And it's got a good ending. And it's got good villains. And in the context of the greater series, it, it sets up a lot of things that happen very well. Okay. Okay. I haven't finished it yet. I'm about three quarters of the way through. Okay. And I don't really know much about Wheel of Time. Mm-hmm. And from a completely outsider perspective, it seems really derivative and kind of a carbon copy in many regards of Lord of the Rings. I was shocked at how similar it is to Lord of the Rings. And I know that Robert Jordan has said that he wanted the first bit of it to be to be reminiscent of Lord of the Rings. But like there's reminiscent and then there's like doing a Force Awakens job on it. And I feel like he's kind of done that. And it's really weird. And I don't know if I like it. I don't know. It's, it's okay. strange. I, I don't know. I wanted to just air it. Like, because it starts off in like the rural country village. There is yeah. a party happening. A magical stranger arrives. There is fireworks. They must all leave an inn in a strange sort of villagey sort of thing. There's a river crossing. And it's like, it's almost like event for event. The first book of Lord of the Rings. Now, granted, it does... When the stuff does go wrong, it breaks and becomes its own thing. But a huge chunk of it, like 20, 30 chapters, is effectively Lord of the Rings. And in, in, in what, to what extent is that Lord of the Rings? And to what extent is it just following, you know, the hero's journey stuff? So it's got nothing to do with that, in my, to my mind. Okay. Like, the, the idea of going through the hero's journey is fine. It's, it's the fact that the, the setup and the locales and the chronology is so similar like you can run the hero's journey and say at the very start have the whole like you know the rural the sort of the well-known location that our hero comes from that could be there there could be a twist on that that sets it apart from lord rings but it wasn't it was literally just like a sort of shire-esque town it's too close aesthetically to lord of the rings yeah now i like i I realize that there's like how many how many books there like 13 is it 13 books? 14, I 14. Think. I mean, like, he's got to... Like, there's no way... Even if you were setting out to copy Lord of the Rings, there's no way you could copy it for 14 books. I realize that at some stage it's going to diverge. Well, they made The Hobbit into four films, so... Well, <laughs> well, we don't we don't speak about that. <laughs> that, was a, that was a disaster. Oh, God. I haven't watched them. Oh, don't. They're just... They're just so... Oh, no. No. Um. So, yeah, he, they must diverge at some stage and become their own unique thing. But... Mm-hmm. Again, to just re-summarize, from an outsider coming in, understanding that this book has, or these series of books have a huge sort of place in nerd culture and genre fiction, I really can't understand why. And there, there is great things, there's great things, like Moraine and the whole Aes Sedai thing is really cool, and the culture mm-hmm. he sets up is really cool. You don't even have a clue how brilliant Lan is yet. Yeah, I, I hear that there's loads of things that are going to happen. But again, from where I am now, it's like, I don't see this as being decent at all. It's well written, but it's completely derivative to my mind. Not saying I don't like it. I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to try and plow through more of the books as well, you know? The, the last few books are, are better written. 
when Brandon takes over, yeah? Yeah. Is there a, is there a um, distinct change in style when he takes over? Can you notice it's two different writers or is Brandon trying to be Jordan? I, I think he imitates the style reasonably well. Now, it's, it's been a few years since I've read them, but he's he's just better at prose, I think. Okay. I like Jordan's prose, though. It, it as it goes on, it can get fierce and um, bogged down. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. I think every so often when I'm listening, I'll catch a turn of phrase that he has for something, and it'll just make mm-hmm. me go, "Oh, that's a really nice way of describing that." Yeah. So, so no, some of it is lovely, but I just think overall, Brandon Sanderson is is more kind of more readable. But th- now, I I don't. I've I've never listened to the the audiobooks of the Wheel of Time. I've I've never listened to an audiobook. Uh so. I don't know. I can't really compare there. Uh, yeah. I mean, like, I still think good prose comes across regardless of the medium. Um, yeah. One thing that one thing that's really weird about the audiobook, and this will be the last point we say in this because this wasn't actually part of the show, is that they have a female and male narrator for the various chapters for uh, the the female and male point of view chapters. Yeah, when it goes point when it goes to the point of view of what's her uh, naive. Yeah. Um. They they bring in a a female narrator. And I really don't like that. Really? Yeah, because the entire... Up until that point, we've had it from the point of view of um, the main guy, Rand. Yeah. So I've I've come to know that voice, and I've come to know that voice doing all the characters. And then suddenly there's a new voice, and it's almost like you're starting new, because it's right. like, oh, new story. So there's nothing wrong with the idea of a female voice. It's the idea of changing voices. I either want it to be all female... Or all male from the get-go. Or maybe if they changed it earlier before you'd gotten so used to just a single voice. If there had been a nine-nave chapter, say, around chapter eight. Uh, Yeah, yeah, could well be, could well be. But again, I think it's common knowledge in the audiobook realm that ensemble casts, if you're going to really do it like girls play girls and boys play boys, uh, is they just turn into a bit of a disaster. They don't sound good at all. The whole charm in audiobooks is to be is this idea of being you are read to by a single person. Um, mm. For me, anyways. So, so I found that really weird, and I still find it really hard to listen to naive stories because uh, of the strange voice that shouldn't be in this this land. She doesn't belong there. <laughs> there you go. I just want to ask you a little bit about Wheel of Time. Do you want to get back? Do you want to get the show back on on track? <laughs> I think we should. You, you rebel. You're a loose cannon, Edgar Grinwald. You have to, you have to reel me in, man. <laughs> You're a loose cannon. So uh, the next thing on our show notes is the music corner. Cool. We had to listen to, I believe it was the uh, Yoshida Brothers. Yep. From last time. So did you have a listen? I did have a listen to it. What did you think? Out of 10, out of 12. I'm not doing that. <laughs> It gets a sum out of 12. S-O-M-E, rather than S-U-M. I enjoyed it. Uh-huh. The link we had on on the show notes was to YouTube, and it was very, it was, like, short versions. I think they were just, like, cut off at 90 seconds. So I couldn't really get my teeth into any of the tracks. What I heard, I enjoyed. I enjoyed it for some of the same reasons that I like, kind of, shreddy guitar stuff. I, I don't know what those instruments are called, but they're they're playing them, and it's kind of fast, and they're bending notes and it's there's quite a lot of energy to it but i felt like i don't really have the context to understand that the way it's intended and i couldn't really distinguish a lot of the tracks from each other i'd like to hear the the longer versions yeah of, of the tracks and maybe know more about the kind of the context in which it's made because as i said it was kind of 
a little bit lost on me. Yeah, I had similar a similar experience. The short thing, the with the short version, that was the only free place I could find that wasn't like illegal. Yeah. That had that entire album. I can only assume that that's the entire album. Uh, so I had to link to that. But there exists mm-hmm. somewhere long versions if if the internet wants to go out and buy it. Uh, I Like you, I would be interested in hearing the long versions. Again, like you, without context, it's really hard to know what's going on. I am... I get the impression just from this, just from this, and without understanding broader context, that they're kind of like Rodrigo and Gabriela for traditional Japanese music. Okay, that's the impression I get. Like I, I know nothing of traditional Japanese music. That's just the impression I was hit mm-hmm. with. So they take traditional, the traditional music, and do it in a sort of more popular style. That's what I, and I, I really liked it. I really yeah. liked it. And unlike you, Bill. I had no problem distinguishing the tracks. In fact, my favorite track is Ringo Bushi. It's really good. I re- and I I have I I've identified with every track and I really really enjoy it. I I didn't I I only listened to it a, a handful of times. I didn't like sit down and study it because I've been listening to a lot of music um in the last while. Uh but Edgar, on the topic of traditional Japanese music, uh did you know that uh, a person that we were in college with is one of the the foremost performers on a traditional Japanese instrument. No, who is this? Yeah, Charlie. We can put some. We can put a, a, a link to the video in the show notes. But uh, uh, he was in the academy with us for a while, and he is a performer on the Satsuma Biwa, which is a. I guess it's kind of a lute, sort of a three string lute with massive frets. And you play it with a, a huge plectrum, and then you compress really far into into the frets to get kind of intonation differences. I think it's got three strings. Uh, Bill, I think that these are the instrument they're playing. No, they're, they're are different. Sure? Are you sure? Yes. Okay, because your description look... description sounds very much like the instruments they're playing. No, I'll I'll open the the YouTube videos again, but they looked very different to me because like they had huge deep frets. The the Satsuma was okay. Oh, oh wait. yeah, no, they're not. The, they're, I don't think they're the same at all. Wait, wait, Char. Oh, like Charles. Yeah. Char. Oh yeah, yeah uh, he was the ball chap. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he was great. Oh, I remember him. There you go. Nostalgia trip. That's crazy. Maybe they're the same. I don't know. I had. I had no idea. I knew he lived in Japan for ages, and I knew he had an, he had an interest in, in the culture. I had no idea he was like a foremost performer of, of apparently so wow uh, are we able to find links to throw in the show notes uh, yeah I'll, I'll, um, um, I'll find a, a video and, and put it in cool very cool yeah the Yoshida brothers play the shamisen okay and so this this is distinctly different but they do I also, so, do also yeah. play it with that giant plectrum as well like I, I seen that thing and it's just it's really it's really cool because they use it as a percussive device as well um which is really interesting. So they use to pick and to strike the body of the instrument with, which I, I really like. Um, cool. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the drum-like effects, I assume, uh, from the Yoshida brothers were not drums. They were the instrument body. So, so yeah, I, I, I very much... I forget the Redditor who... who uh, or the person, should I say, who left that suggestion, but I very much enjoyed it. Uh, two thumbs up for me for the Yoshida brothers. That's awesome. Or 12 thumbs up, should I say. Twelve thumbs up. <laughs> playing around with the chemical X again, have we, Edgar? Have I been playing around with the chemical X? What? 
Just like a generic name for something that would cause mutations. It's not a specific thing. Wait, what's this got to do with with, with music, man? I, I'm really confused. Because you've got twelve thumbs. Oh, okay. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> uh, actually, do you know what? Uh, a odd number of digits will 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 creep up later in the show. That's going to be a topic later on in the show. Good, good to know. Yeah, know. A little sneak preview of what we're getting in 40 minutes' time. <laughs> I know, right? 40 minutes. Um, he says ambitiously. <laughs> uh, what was I going to say there? <laughs> yeah, okay. So, yeah, so I'll, I'll send you, I'll send you a, a video of, um, of, of Charles playing the, playing the Satsuma Biwa. Brilliant. Um, I, you mentioned Rajiki Gabriella. I did, yes. I saw them a little over, uh, no, not quite two weeks ago. No way. Yeah. Ah, cool. What did you think? Um, I I quite liked them. I mean, I I haven't listened to them in a while. Man, this is probably going to sound super hipster. I haven't really listened to their studio stuff. Um, since they started doing like proper studio albums, is, is kind of <laughs> when I just kind of didn't listen to them anymore, not for any particular reason. So I hadn't seen them in a, I hadn't ever seen them before, and I hadn't listened to them in a while. But I I enjoyed them a lot. They had a lot of energy. They did a mix of their own stuff. Uh, a lot of their own stuff, but the middle of their set was all uh, thrash metal covers. So they did. Oh, what's the first track off that Meg- of Megadeth? Is it Hangar Hangar Eighteen? No, Holy Wars Punishment Due. Okay. They did the cover of Holy Wars Punishment Due, um, which was entertaining, and they did a cover of Orion and Damage Incorporated by Metallica. Okay. Uh, which are like the last two tracks on Master Puppets. Like they're in order. And they had a lot of energy for their own, for for the the covers, but they kind of weren't as interesting somehow, right? And it was just like, oh yeah, I liked them because they were novel that they were like they were playing a Megadeth song and two Metallica songs that I really love, but it wasn't as interesting as them like doing their own stuff. And then when they went back to their own stuff, I I actually much preferred it. I don't know much about what they've done since I dropped out of listening to them, but I think they should move away from being the like flamenco metal cover band in a way and just do their own stuff like i'm totally with you on that i think uh, from what i heard of their the, the little bit i heard about their original stuff back in the day it was it was much better i much much preferred it mm-hmm. see I, I bought this album of theirs about 10 years ago uh, live manchester in dublin in which they do they do a cover they actually do there's two versions of a cover of one and i think they they put in the hetfield solo from the master puppets as well um, and that's that's brilliant. They're really really good, uh, but I didn't enjoy it as much live. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, but that that's a that's a stunning album. That's a really really good album. My my thoughts, if you want to top up being super hipster here, right? Mm-hmm. I'm gonna go super hipster here. Is my thoughts is that uh, they are very good. They're clearly mm-hmm. very skilled. I have uh, problems with Gabriella um, as a player uh, and a player who purportedly is influenced by flamenco in that, we've had this discussion before uh, on the podcast no in real life okay well let's just put it on the podcast okay so people can disagree with me in the comments on reddit <laughs> so what 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 they're doing is not close to flamenco at all and i think it's a bit of a yeah. disservice to flamenco for them to purportedly say that it 
is derived from flamenco. Like it, it to the to the untrained ear or anyone who isn't from that culture, it's all like oh, it's Spanishy sounding. There go, therefore it is flamenco. But it's yeah, it's really far off. Like I took I took flamenco lessons off an Argentinian chap for about a year in college, and he really made me understand what flamenco is. It's way more virtuosic and rhythmic and technically challenging than what what Rodrigo Gabriela do. Nothing wrong with what they do. It's just making that connection that bothers me. See, we, we've talked about this before and I have something written by them somewhere. It's in one of their albums, liner notes or in an interview or something that they did where they said, no, we're not flamenco and I wish people would stop calling us that. Oh, was that an act of retcon? The, the way it was presented wasn't that. The way it was presented was, we're not flamenco. I don't know why people think we're flamenco. We never said we're flamenco. Stop calling us flamenco. If, if I'm assuming what the populace thinks about them is what they think about themselves, then that's my fault. Uh, and I'm perfectly open yeah. to, to, that, to, that, to me being wrong there. I could be misremembering that that was how they put it. But as I recall, it was like, no, we never claimed to be flamenco. Because people just called us that, but it's not what we are. But the, the, the sort of the broader point that I want to kind of bring up about my taste, my feelings towards music is that when someone purports to be something that is not the norm, i.e. you draw like classical influence or you draw flamenco inf- influence or you draw yeah. Japanese music influence and particularly, this is going to sound hipster, but particularly when it reaches kind of like general knowledge, like everyone knows about this, you can nearly always assume that it's a watered-down version of what the original is, and you can nearly always assume that it's worth your time going and checking out the source because it's going to be more technical, more virtuosic, more brilliant, more everything, and more culturally rich. And I think that's important, just as a general statement away from Rodrigo Gabriela. Okay. (laughs) Agree, disagree? (laughs) I think culturally rich is a bit too subjective. And I think that by whatever has has gone into making it more mainstream has made it more accessible in general. So it's not necessarily going to be to your tastes. Like, oh, well, you know, I really like this noisecore band. It's like, oh, well, no, they're not really noisecore. You should go listen to real noisecore. And you go and listen to real noise core and you don't like it because it's like too aggressive or it's too insular and you, you don't have the context to understand it. So it's not necessarily going to be a successful enterprise. And uh, yeah, I, th- I think culturally rich is a, l- a little subjective because I, d- I don't think you can uh, apply a consistent thing of richness to someone or to, to, to an art form. Apart from Ludvico Einaudi, that, that's utterly vapid. What's, what's, what is this? I have no idea what, what, what you're talking about. Vico? Oh, you know this composer, Ludvico Einaudi? No, who's this? Oh, he's this, like, Italian composer who's awful. <laughs> it's all just, it's all just, like, arpeggios, um, and, like, piano arpeggios and nice strings in the background for 12 minutes, and he says that, they, oh, like, he's contemporary classical music, and it's, you know, it's, the classical is a, is a word that's used a lot around him, but it's just like four chords. And I didn't like him in the first place, particularly. And then I was doing um, it was when I when I started my my job, I was uh, doing some shadowing some piano teachers, 
and I had one student that played Nuova Bianche by Ludvico Einaudi. And I was like, okay, that's, that is a piece of music, that is fine. And then I had another student come in and play All of You by John Legend. And it's the exact same harmony. They're they're at the same tempo, and it's like it's in the same key. And it's like, like that's fine. There's nothing wrong with John Legend. Nothing wrong with with all of you. That's a perfectly fine song. They're nice chords, but you can't take that exact chord pattern, four chords, you know, one per bar, play it for ten minutes, and say that is classical music because uh, it isn't. <laughs> I have heard of that guy before because students of mine have also wanted to learn that Nouvelle Bianche tune or whatever. Uh, I just yeah. didn't realize that was him. Uh, when I heard that tune, I was kind of, I, I had similar things. I was kind of like, this is just a load of like really inoffensive uh, consonant harmony arpeggios everywhere sort of thing. This is, there's nothing yeah. interesting going on. <laughs> the, like, the, the pinnacle of bland rapidity. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the uh, f- one last point in the music. Sorry, just to go back to the cultural thing. I uh, I think I need to tighten my definition here. Uh, th- I need to tighten it to if it's purportedly derived from a folk art form. Okay, it, okay. It's worth going back and checking out that the original folk art form because there is cultural value to be had there. Because almost by okay, yeah yeah because yeah, almost by definition, if it goes mainstream, it means it has to be changed and altered such that the the general masses can find interest in it do you know what i mean yes yeah because i think because i think if you go oh i know flamenco because of rodrigo gabriela you're not really you've missed an awful lot there so yeah totally just just my thoughts uh so so there you go oh now bill we have to do we have to generate a new uh a new tune to to listen to we do have to generate a new tune. Do you have your list ready? I am. Um, I have my list ready. I, oh, do I? Is this the update? Yeah, this is the updated list. Yes, I have the list. Do you want to get out your dice there? Okay. How many? How many are on the list? We have. How many entries do we have? We have thirty-six. Thirty-six. Okay, I'm rolling one d thirty-six. Nineteen. Nineteen. So this is Savant. By okay. I'm assuming someone called Oracle. Oracle. Or O R A K E L. Okay. Okay. Let's let give you let do a quick Google there because you're in charge of Google. Go, do a quick Google and find out is that a song or is that an album? Um, that is a full album. That is oh, a no, full album. It. No, don't don't play, don't play. <laughs> um, Oracle is the tenth album by electronic dance music producer Alexander Vinter. And his eighth using the alias Savant. Okay, ah, okay. So, so, so the artist is Savant, and the album is Oracle. Yes. Grand. Okay. So, just to say that again, Savant, artist Savant, album Oracle, and there's a full album on YouTube. Yeah. So there you go, Savant Oracle. It will be in the show notes. Have a listen, people, if you're interested. Myself and Bill will listen to it, and we will report back on our findings. Sure thing. That was my best attempt. At, that was my best attempt at the sort of staccato that radio radio presenters have in their voice when they rattle <laughs> off stuff. <laughs> I just can't do it. Like I listen to myself back in edits, and I'm like, Jesus, Edgar, if there's one thing you weren't born with, it's a radio accent. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry, don't worry, Edgar. You got a face for radio. Yeah, that's right. That's true. <laughs> you have the voice for radio, and I have the face for radio. Great. Okay. Um, <laughs> shall, <laughs> shall we? Shall we horse on to something else? Let's yeah, let's move on. Let's move let on. Let us let us um, rampant horse onto something else. 
You were in South Korea recently. I was in South Korea recently. I was. I think you should tell me all about South Korea. <laughs> like literally everything. Well, so there is this war. No, I, I won't do that. I, okay, so I'll give you like a newspaper headline sort of summation of my trip. And then if you want, you can um, like question me for more details. Yeah. Uh, no, can you make it a BuzzFeed clickbait headline instead? Uh, oh, okay, yeah, uh, ten... You won't believe what Edgar thought about South Korea. (laughs) Oh, BuzzFeed. Um, okay, so the, the headline is, I had a really good time, really nice to be there for ten days, but I really dislike South Korea. (laughs) Okay. It was a, it's a really strange place, and... I'm sure it's for some people, but it's. I think I've come to the conclusion it's really not for me. To constrain that a little bit more, actually, I should say urban Korea is not for me. Okay. I had no experience of rural, less densely populated Korea. Perhaps that is absolutely beautiful and lovely, uh, and I would love it. But urban Korea, there are many, many, many systematic problems with urban South Korea. And I'm just like, I don't know if I want to be here. <laughs> So okay. do you want to do you want to pry me apart for my for my opinions or do you want to leave it at that? I think it would be funny to leave it at that. <laughs> probably shouldn't. Oh well, actually, I tell you what. Actually, I, I will add something. That's a slightly like heavy note, right? Uh, so can I add something about Korea that's more lighthearted and related to world building? Yes. Okay. There are two things I have learned from Korea that I'm going to take and try and implement in my world building. Okay. Point. Thing number one. When you are born, the day you are born, you are aged one. Oh, weird. Which is really interesting to think about because it seems to... I don't know about this. I've just spent 10 days in the country, so don't internet hate me if I get this wrong. But the impression I get is that they see the nine months... The nine months of you uh, living inside your mother's womb as being an actual part of your life. So they count it as a full Hmm. year. Okay. Yeah, which I think is a really cool little culture thing. Also, there's there's this weird thing. I can't speak with any sort of authority on this, but there's this weird thing where everyone changes birthday at the same time. What? Yeah, uh, I gotta ask my girlfriend about this. There's a thing where, is it? The, I spoke to my girlfriend about this. The impression I got was there's one month of the year where everyone in Korea just change just becomes a year older, and then you still have your regular birthday to celebrate, but functionally it all happens at one time. I could be totally wrong. Maybe I misunderstood her, but that's oh, the impression. Everyone changes age at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Like like February 20th. Not changes their birthday at the same time. No, sorry, 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 yeah. So like let's say February <laughs> What? <laughs> no, like February 20th, everyone becomes everyone moves up in age. Okay? But, okay. you'd, but you'd still have your birthday on whatever, the 1st of June, if you were born, you'd celebrate that or whatever. Something to okay. that effect, which is so bizarre to us. Like, if that's, if, I'm, if I'm remembering it correctly, it's so bizarre and something that I want to steal. I always wondered about stuff like that in, you know, in, in films or in books or whatever, where it's like, you know, a, a barbarian or a rural tribe and they, they count their age in summers. Yeah. So you could be like six months apart, but you you age at the same time because you know if you were born like in winter at the start of winter or at the end of spring, functionally you're six months apart, but it's still your first summer or your mm. tenth summer happens at the same time. Yeah, exactly, exactly like that. Um, but that's something I always just assume occurred in fantasy literature. 
Like, you know, where it's kind of like, oh, I'm a man of 23 summers or whatever. I did not realize that they had, that there was this, this type of counting system goes on in the real world, which was fascinating to me. Hmm. And again, something, something to steal. Uh, the other thing I want to steal is their public transport system. Mm-hmm. If I, if I, if I ever write the right dagger where it's going to be like a super modern city sort of thing, their public transport, a particular trains is, is the most wonderful thing. I have ever seen in my life. And I, I despise trains with an absolute passion. Like the Irish train system. Yes, the Irish train system here causes me no end of hardship. I hate, I, like there's a few things in life that I actually genuinely just, just hate. And one of them is Irish rail. I hate Irish trains with an unending passion. It's, oh, it's just, they're the most heinous of companies. Anyhow, sorry. I had a very unpleasant Irish rail experience about two weeks ago, but I'll tell I'll tell you about that later on. Do I have an p- unpleasant Irish rail experience every single time I'm with them? I swear to God, it's just the most inept service ever. But anyhow, Korean rail is glorious, right? Absolutely glorious. In that you 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 land on your platform, right? You're at your platform, like in the metro or whatever, and they have like glass walls up where the train is going to stop, okay? Yeah. Yeah, or plastic walls. And this stops a very important thing. London has a problem with this. Suicides, right? Yeah. Like, but, like and I was kind of like, that is a really interesting solution. Why doesn't, why don't, why doesn't London I- employ that, you know? So that was point number one. One, one of the tube lines in London does. Oh, okay, but it's definitely At not. At least one of the tube lines does. But it's, it's not, not them, it's no. not rolled out as standard, definitely not. But, um, and then the next thing is that, you so there's like a doorway that will open to allow you on the train, and outside the doorway on the path is uh, there's indicated where you should stand. So there's like an uh, a boarding queue and an exiting queue. So there's no fighting for getting in. It's all very very orderly. There's also it's also color coded to let people know where the nearest say like senior citizen seat is, so you can go straight to your like correct like entry port if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's the most beautifully elegant uh, and logistical and just clean system I have ever seen. So that is something I'm going to steal. If I ever need to describe a train system in a story I want to write that I'll never write, I'm going to steal South Korea's train <laughs> system. It is just, I, I couldn't get over it like. Um, so there's two really good points about Korea and mildly related to world building. What things did you not like? Did you like the food? I enjoyed the food to a certain extent. The only reason I didn't enjoy some parts is because I was super adventurous. Right. Yeah, well, that's good. That's good. Yeah, so I went out to try and uh, eat the weirdest food possible. And there's a high failure rate when you eat the really weird stuff. Uh, Kimchi. Kimchi is good. What's kimchi? Kimchi is like fermented cabbage. Sauerkraut. Exactly. It is like sauerkraut. It's it's slightly different. It's red. Well, of course, you're gonna like sauerkraut, or you're gonna like the kimchi. Your name's Grunwald. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, sauerkraut is is so much better than kimchi. I I can't I I can't get down with the kimchi thing. It's fine. Sauerkraut is so so much better. Um, the it's everywhere kimchi in in Korea. You order anything, you get kimchi with it. It's hilarious. And then I had silkworm larvae. That was not good. Doesn't sound it. No, th- that tasted like that, and I'm not being like uh, this is no hyperbole at all. It tasted a little bit like a rotten zofa. Uh, 
It What's was a sofa. A sofa, sofa. Sorry, sofa. Oh, sorry. Yeah, uh, like a, a settee, a couch, Bill. That that raises more questions than it answers. But okay. Like, yeah, like all right, I, I gotta explain, right? You know, if you, if you were to like put a couch right in a derelict building and leave it sit there for about a year, you know what musty, rotten, dry slash wet rot. Yeah, no, like that smell in taste form. Imagine that smell in the back of your nose, and now imagine being able to taste that in the form of insects. Yeah, that sounds revolting. It's, it is It is genuinely revolting. Uh, I had live octopus, which was good. I was about to ask you that. Yeah, I was about to ask you. There's this thing where they get an octopus, they kill it in front of you, and they put the tentacles on your plate, and all the nerves are still firing, so it's moving. And all the suckers are still going, so it sticks on to you, and it's really, it's really weird. And it tastes fine. It once you get over the the concept, the idea that there is a thing moving in your mouth trying to latch onto your tongue, it tastes like normal fish. It's, I, I really liked it. Did did you did you know beforehand about the, the choking risk with that? Uh, no, uh, it doesn't bother me. If 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 you died, you died doing what you loved, <laughs> eating octopus. Exactly. Why is there is there a lot of deaths surrounding this in quotes live octopus? I wouldn't say a lot, but I mean I think it, like it's like a slightly higher choking risk than food that isn't trying to hold onto your tongue. <laughs> Somehow, uh, surprisingly, <laughs> <laughs> who would have thunk it? Eh? <laughs> no, that didn't even occur to me. I was just kind of like pulling put it in the mouth and just get it get it done with. Um, but yeah, no, the, the food was great. The food was really good. Um, their internet is censored. Oh, that's weird. Yeah, which which goes against a lot of what I stand for. Uh, I I I also I couldn't get my proxies to work there. Very interesting. Oh. Um, because I was like, oh, it's I can't get through to this site because I tried. I was like, it's not really censored, though, is it? Uh, and I I tried a site that was uh potentially something that the Korean government might censor. So I couldn't get through to it. I tried proxying it. Still couldn't get through to it. Really strange. And I think the official statement is that they block things because they don't want it corrupting the minds of uh, the young generation, which is just, I'm so utterly against blocking the internet. Uh, that really annoyed me. I had a little kind of like rant at my girlfriend about this. That's very strange. Yeah. The They also have... Now, I realize I'm speaking about a culture I know nothing about and about a people I know nothing about. So, can, can we all take this with a pinch of salt and all take it with, these are just Edgar's initials impressions, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- that, that's kind of important for what I'm going to say next. The views on gender in South Korea, uh, they're kind okay. of, they're, they're interesting and not what we have over here, so I just want to, to, to bring it up. For one thing, platonic touching is totally cool over there. Mm, can you... Elaborate on that? Yeah, so the idea of, like, two women or two men holding hands walking down the street is not frowned upon at all. That's seen as being totally normal behavior. Oh, that's nice. That That is really cool. That is very, very cool. Counter to that, or from what I could tell, they still have a very conservative uh, view on the, the the traditional male and female role in society. Right. Uh, which is which I found very jarring because uh, I get that there's equality everywhere, but it, the, the the inequality there seemed to be very pervasive and very obvious, and you couldn't help but notice it as someone from the outside. Like there's this thing; it seems to be a younger person thing more than anything else, where female beauty is seen to be 
coming from being submissive, right? If you are submissive and dainty, you are you are being the ideal uh, female, if that makes sense, right? Right. And we, very often, myself and the captain, when we walked down the street, we would street we would see young couples doing this, and you would see like the the girl very very obviously and over the top and theatrically acting up this element like this sort of submissive sort of i am yours sort of thing and the man as well playing a very kind of stoic i don't care i'm a man role and it was like it it's not open for interpretation really that's exactly what they're doing and it was so obvious and that's that sort of thing i found really hard to deal with (laughs) to see because it goes against uh my beliefs on you know, gender equality and things like that, and especially coming from young people, it's like that I found very, very hard to 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 deal with. And that's one of the reasons why when I say Korea was really nice to visit, I had a really good time with the captain, but there's there's a couple of uh, like systemic things that would lead me to say that Korea is maybe not a place that I'd be ever interested in living in or perhaps visiting for an extended period of time. Oh really? Yeah, that's a, yeah. I don't know. It's just there's yeah that 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 sort of thing. I I I find it hard to engage with a culture that that allows that. Uh, now I I need to preface all this by saying I was only over there for ten days. Uh, I'm not an expert on Korean culture. I have been, I seen two cities, Ilsan and Seoul. I didn't see all of Korea. Uh, I wasn't able to talk to locals that much because uh, I can't speak Korean. So. My opinion needs to be taken, but an awful pinch of salt. Just take it as this is what Edgar thought of his trip. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, Bill. Bill, you were places as well. Edgar. <laughs> I was places. You were places. Tell us where you were, Bill. I went to Nottingham. <gasps> no! You never told me that. You went to Nottingham? Yeah? You said you were in London again. I didn't know you were in Nottingham. I, I was in London again. And you were also in Nottingham. Yep. Home of, dear Artifexian viewer, home of Nottingham University or the University of Nottingham, which is home of number file, periodic videos. All of that is shot there. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a really... I didn't know that. It's the YouTube University. (laughs) I was only there um, for two nights. Okay. I flew in on a Thursday... And I saw a bit of the town and went around a few places. Uh, I went to what is one of a number of establishments that came to be the oldest pub in England. <laughs> it's called the Old Trip to Jerusalem. And it, it's thought it's right below, like it's right kind of at the walls of Nottingham Castle. And it's called that because it's meant to be a place that crusaders gathered before heading off in the crusades. Oh, no way. Yeah, That's which cool. was, it was it was quite a nice wee pub, so that was pretty good. And then the next day, I went to Download Festival. Oh, you didn't tell me this either. God, we really haven't talked in a long time. How was Download? Well, I did a very silly thing, Edgar. Oh, God. Oh, no. What did you do to Bill? Can you guess what I did? What would be like a real un-Bill kind of stupid thing to do when going on a trip? Um, Forget to bring something that's necessary? Yeah. Okay, well, did you forget, like, what's necessary for download? Did you forget, like, wellies or a proper attire? More more fundamental. (laughs) More fundamental. You forgot tickets. You forgot your tickets. 
Yep. I left my tickets in the hostel. Oh no! What did you do? I was only going for the one day and like I had packed everything and I had I had all of my stuff and it was all like all my boarding passes and my passport and train timetables. Oh no. Um and then I was like we got a bus from Nottingham City Centre out towards download and I was halfway there and I re- the, the people sitting opposite us were talking about their tickets and I was like oh god oh god I've forgotten the tickets so my friend who I was travelling with was very understanding and only a little bit annoyed and um, the people opposite us were really sweet and they gave us this like return ticket they had and that they could use like you can use unlimited times so we borrowed it to get back to Nottingham oh. get the tickets and get back to the festival Oh, so you still made it into the festival? Still made it into the festival. Um, and we gave the ticket back to, to the to the people that had, had given it to us, the, the bus ticket, and had a rather good time. It poured down. Like, we actually <laughs> were on the bus and we could not see the road in front of us um, on the way back, like the, the our second trip towards the festival site. And then it cleared up by the time we, we got off. And then I was like, oh... As we're heading in towards the gates, I was like, oh, I'll just get a poncho off this guy from the side of the street um, and bought a poncho. And three minutes later, it opened up. And three minutes after that, I was wet to my hips because <laughs> of the rain had soaked up through my trousers. It poured down. It absolutely poured down. I saw videos like when I was coming back into the city that night of people's tents getting washed away in the campsite. <laughs> was it Was it enjoyable? Oh, I had a really good time. Uh, I saw three bands. You saw three bands? What I saw three whole bands. <laughs> what what bands did you see? Well, I, I saw like bits of other bands that I like, I would, like were kind of fine bands I wasn't really into. Um, and I saw like I saw them from the corner. I was like, this doesn't sound like my kind of thing. So I didn't, I didn't stick around. Mm. Um, well, we were worried that we would get back in time for three o'clock to catch Baby Metal. Okay, I don't know who these are, but there you go. Baby Metal are a metal band fronted by three uh, teenage Japanese girls. Oh no way! Yeah, so they're doing like <laughs> cool. that, um, like that that kind of J-pop sort of uh, the way they have like a mythos built around them and like a whole performance thing, but backed up by an actually really good metal band. And I mean, I I thought I think that they're, I think the gimmick is a bit tired, you know, that it's like oh metal and it's got cute girls in the front, you know, cute little teenagers. Um, so I was kind of like, you know, it'll be, it'll be grand. We'll go see it. It might be kind of entertaining. And that, that sort of thing they're playing on the, the, the two contrasting aesthetics didn't interest me at all, but the band are actually really good and they do a really good show and they're, they're good front women. Okay, cool. Um, but like, I, like the bassist is serious, like seriously talented bassist and they've songs in like at least three or four different genres as well. Oh. Which I was impressed with, and they were competent in all of them. So uh, yeah, they, like I, I enjoyed them a lot more than I expected to. Cool, that sounds very cool. Um, and not for gimmicky reasons. The gimmick wasn't what 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 made them interesting mm. to me. Yeah, they were musically interesting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, then uh, we kind of wandered around for a while. Um, I drank some beers. There were some tasty beers that were made especially for the festival. Oh, cool. Um, as a lot of festivals are doing nowadays, and we went down to watch. Well, Motorhead had been scheduled to play, but obviously that didn't happen. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Yeah, yeah, he he's dead, no? Yeah, Lemmy died uh. back about six months ago. I think Motorhead are defunct now. I don't think Motorhead are. Okay, 
right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I stopped when Lemmy passed away. So. So who else did you see? That's band number one. So there was like this sort of documentary thing about Motorhead that they played, which was all right. I could only it was like played up on the big screens. I couldn't really hear it very clearly. But then I saw Corn. Ah yes, love Corn. Who were terrific fun. <laughs> I've you know I've I've mixed feelings about Corn. Like I like some of their stuff. I don't like some of their other stuff. But um, they're just really entertaining live. And, ah, Corn are great. Um, I, I love my new metal man. My new ah new metal is just the way forward. Like it's so good. Uh, but go on, I'm pretty sure it's the way backwards at this stage. No, 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 Bill. You see, it, it's, it, it's like a it full... was 15 years ago. No, 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 Bill. Bill, it's timeless. You see, timeless. <laughs> the uh, so that's band. So corn. It's band number two. And band number three were Ramstein. No way, Ramstein. Yeah. Oh man, epic! That's amazing. I thought. Yeah. I thought download was. Like every other sort of uh, purportedly heavy metal festival just gone to pot where they don't actually play real metal. It's kind of like it's gone, everyone's gone soft rock. But that's amazing. These are like proper, proper metal bands like. Yeah. Ah, that's amazing. How was totally. Ramstein? Ramstein were amazing. They were like, it's the third time I've seen them and it was by far the best. Like, uh, cool. it was just so good. Because the other two times I saw them... It was it was a really good performance, and you know it was really entertaining, and they've such got such great stage presence and such elaborate stage shows. But Till wasn't singing very well. Till Till being the the main singer, his like his voice was a bit was a bit rough the last two times, and he wasn't like quite hitting some of the pitches. But this time he was yeah just completely on on the pitch, singing real powerfully. They did a new song, which I think um, suggested there's a new album on the way. Ooh. Which there hasn't been, it's been a long time since the last time, it's about six years now. Huh, okay. And the stage show was phenomenal, and I was just, I, I was just super into it. I, I've, I enjoyed them so, so much. Were they, did they headline? They were the headliners of the first night, yeah. Okay, okay. Alright, cool, very cool. Oh, that's amazing. I did not know any of this build. I only went for a day. Yeah. I, I went to see Ramstein, to be honest. Oh, okay. How, is it, how, how expensive is it to get to download, ticket-wise? I can't remember because I bought the tickets back in like November. Oh, gee, did that look that far back? Wow. Yeah, because I really like Rammstein. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's cool. I'm glad. I'm I'm glad that you enjoyed yourself. I again, I had no idea, absolutely no idea. Uh, so, so this is why you were in Nottingham. That's why I was in Nottingham. Ah, yeah. Okay, 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 okay. And then the following day, I went down to London for about a week. Okay. Oh, very good. And how how was London? It's, well, I didn't see that much of it. I kind of mostly stayed around one small part of East London. I went to the Museum of Childhood, which was pretty great. Oh, there's a Museum of Childhood. Huh. Yeah, it's mostly toys. Okay. It's a toy (laughs) museum then. Well, it's got other stuff as well. It's got like children's clothes and things like like documents about childhood and stuff from, from, you know, a a large period of time. But it had some fun world building in it. Oh, we should probably try and fit some world building in this episode, see, because there's hardly anything. <laughs> yeah, we probably should. In one part of it, they have these uh, monkeys that were made, I think it's from the 1960s, by this family's, um, you know, I think it said governess, but that sounds a lot more Jane Austen than than I intend. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so from the 1960s, this like family, these little boys, and their governess knitted them these monkey toys 
and the boys gave them all names, and they came up with a society for the monkeys, Ooh. and like the monkey government and the monkey criminals, and what ha- like where the monkey criminals go when they break the law, and they wrote it all down in copy books. Okay. And they are there, like the monkeys are there on display in in the museum, um, and they all like have all the little tags with their names. And the copy books are there in the display cabinet as well, but they're all digitized online. So you can go onto the Museum of Childhood's <laughs> website and read all about this monkey society that these little boys created. That is excellent. That is it's amazing. brilliant. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> is it? Is it any good? <laughs> what they came up with, given their relative ages, obviously. Yeah, yeah. No, it's really good. <laughs> Like, given that they were, like, ten or whatever, um, and they, they come up with, you know, the laws that the monkeys have to follow and the punishments. Because when the art historian brought me there, they were saying, oh, you've got to come see the monkey criminals. And there's actually a lot more to it than just them being criminals. But that was the page that it was open on. That was the page that the book was open on. Uh, yeah, it's 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 terrific. I will if we have links to that, we got a problem in the show. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll pass you on some links for it. I, I I haven't followed it up fully myself, but I I intend to. That is um, amazing. Wait, I have a question. So that would be cool. Hang on, hang on, um, Bill, Bill, stop, stop. <laughs> Hold on, I have a question here, right? Yeah. What was your first world building? The first one I ever made. Yeah. What was the, what's your equivalent of the monkey criminals? Um. You know, I probably still have it around somewhere. I have a copy somewhere where I drew a map and I described like four or five different countries that were on the map. And I remember it being heavily influenced by the maps in, I guess, White Dwarf magazine, which my older brother was collecting at the time, which is the the Games Workshop magazine. Um, And some of the specific models. I really liked the look of some of the specific models in it. The... There was a sort of a, a cavalier kind of adventurer in like a rough and doublet. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that's probably it. And we, we had this oh. book about how to draw fantasy characters as well, which I, I was probably also still around somewhere. Huh. Um, I would have been about eight, maybe. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, there you go. My world building started in Pizza Hut in, in London. Did I tell you this story before? No. I can't remember what we did. We went, we're in, we're in London on like a family trip and we went to Pizza Hut, right? And as part of getting like the family meal, you got like this cardboard cutout, uh, sort of you fold it together pirate ship. Class. And there was a little booklet to go along with it where it showed mm-hmm. like pictures of what, what the pirate ship would look like in universe had it not been made out of crap cardboard. <laughs> And I I came up with, I didn't write any of it down, but I came up with a huge, like, backstory for all the various different characters depicted in that book. And the pirate ship was a flying pirate ship, and they were part of the crew, and they went on adventures around the world, like, fighting, fighting criminals and gold and all that. And to this day, I have a really soft spot for anything that involves pirate ships. And in particular, anything that involves magical pirate ships, like flying pirate ships. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that was my... And I think I must have been a similar age to you. Mm. Yeah. And I, oh, I drew, like, countless pictures of this pirate ship. I learned how to draw pirate ships. Like, there's no tomorrow. I have nothing... None of none of it remains. It's all gone. I don't know where it is. But, uh, but that was my first bit of world building. So there you go. 
That's pretty great. How hopefully someday some someone will find all this and digitize it and put it on the internet for people uh, for uh, on podcasts to go see. Uh, that would be good. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I really like pirates. I think pirates are great. Pirates are great. They are great. There's there's like, I've got no bad words to say about pirates. It's awesome. The whole aesthetic there, is amazing. Love it. There, there's a case to be made. Bill gets political here. There's a case to be made that piracy was a sort of, or it was part of a sort of globally distributed resistance movement against the elite of the time. Like it was, it was a kind of what would now be like a kind of a, I don't know, working class mightn't be the right word, but uh, a popular resistance movement against the the ruling classes, because they were disrupting trade and they were a lot of rhetoric. Um, is to do with, like, liberty and things. And the articles that a lot of pirate crews followed were quite egalitarian democratic. There's evidence that some pirates had what we'd now see as a form of gay marriage. No way! Yep. Oh, yep. interesting. And I have a PDF somewhere. I'll, I'll send it to you and you can put it in the show notes if you can find the link about uh, race among pirates at the time. That I think I think the the gist of it was that they weren't totally racially egalitarian because it was the 1600s and people didn't have those concepts exactly. Yeah. But I mean, if you if you were an African or a person of African descent in the Caribbean in the 1600s, it, you were like way better off to join an outlaw pirate crew than to you know stay a slave, obviously. And there's parallels drawn between pirate crews and pirate communities, and there's there's sort of there's groups in the interior of North America where runaway slaves and I think white outlaws and natives had communities that were like just beyond the fringes of sort of European or American control that were like just obliterated over time. So there's not a lot of historical record of them. But yeah, like, they're super lefty is what I'm getting at, and the class. That's, I didn't know that. That's awesome. Uh, I will send you, I will send you some links for, about this stuff if I can. But yeah, pirates yeah. are deadly. Yeah, that's really cool. I did, I, I, know, I knew none of it. I, I get, I think maybe because I, I came to it, um, that was my first exposure to, to world building via the form of pirates. In my head, I have this romanticized ideal of what the pirate life is. To the, ex- yeah. to the extent where throughout my adult life, I had no interest in going around trying to change that. <laughs> so, so, so I, I saw so as much as I like pirates and like watching things of pirates and engaging in like something that has pirates to do with it. I actually don't know that much about the, like the mechanisms that drove that movement. So that's really interesting mm-hmm. that you bring that up. It's something I probably should do at some stage. Like obviously, I'm referring specifically to golden age piracy here. Obviously, there's, there's like pirates and everything, but you know the the classical pirate image, which I guess is what you're talking about. Yeah, I think when you say pirates without specifying, you always mean golden age. You always mean the Spanish main. Exactly. Yeah. 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 That's cool. That's 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 pretty cool. Uh, other London things. Um, I saw. Oh, do you do you know a, a kids show from the sixties called The Clangers? Are these these aliens on like the moon? They're like little pink mice kind of thing. Yeah, and they all like make strange noises. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, d- I haven't watched it. I know of it. I saw the clangers. Oh, what's that like? 
like the actual clangers, the actual ones they used to film were there in the Museum of Childhood, along with a load of other stuff and like other cartoons that I didn't I didn't recognize as much. Um, Bagpuss as well, which I don't know. Oh, I've heard ma- that name before. It's a cat. It's a cat. Yeah, he's a big pink cat. Yeah, um, I think, yeah, I remember this. Yeah. Basically, yeah, there was a little exhibition about the guy who was responsible for all of those shows was there in the Museum of Childhood. And um, yeah, so that was pretty great because I quite liked the clangers. And they had one of the scripts for the first episode of The Clangers there. And for anyone who knows it, or anyone who watches a video, which I'm sure we'll find on YouTube and put in the show notes, um, The Clangers whistle at each other. There's no, there's no like, speech. Yeah. It's all, it's all just whistling. And there's no direct translation. Just the narrator will say, The Clangers are fighting, or whatever. But, turns out that they actually wrote full dialogue <laughs> for it. And they're, they're like, there's actually a, like you can say exactly what they're saying to each other in the script, and then when they came to record, they just used like a slide whistle instead, which oh. is so so crazy to me. Like they they actually bothered sitting down and writing proper dialogue, but didn't use any of it. And it's really funny dialogue as well. Like there's two of them fighting over a piece of string, and one of them says, "Give it to me, you rotten rodent." Um, and it's just it's really charming. <laughs> this child of museum sounds great, crack. Yeah, it's, and it's it's really well curated as well. Like it's it's kind of it's it's set up according to different like um, ideas. It's not just like here is all the toys from the seventeen hundreds and here's all the toys from the eighteen hundreds. There's like loads of different stuff kind of grouped by topic from different eras. Wow. Um. Yeah. I'd I'd uh, I definitely recommend it. Some of it's uh, got stuff written by children, like children writing about toys and writing about childhood. Um. Oh, and when I was there, there was an exhibition which, or like a one display case, which had gotten children to come up with um, imaginary friends and draw them. And then someone made like sculptures of the imaginary friends. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's it's brilliant. It was really, really good. I'd, I'd definitely recommend it. I, I know I often say, oh, I'll look into this and do this. And rarely ever do I do that. If I am in London, that's something I think I might check out. That mm. is genuinely really interesting. I like that. There you go. Um, so, did you, anything else in London, or should we move on to the next stage of your journeys? Move on to the next stage, I guess. So, what is? I'm assuming this is the final stage. Uh, well, there's a couple of things. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, we really have been all over this. Um, yeah. What? So, what's? So, I'm confused now. I don't know what stage we're at. Where were you next? <laughs> so, well, I, I came back after being in in London. I came back to Ireland. Um, and then after a few weeks, I went down to Bantry in yes, West Cork. That's what I was on. Which, did I talk about this in a podcast about a year ago? Because I feel like I ought to have, and I'd be surprised if I didn't. But I can't remember doing so. I don't I know, Bill. Before. Hmm. I don't know. So every year, I volunteer at a music festival, which is down in West Cork. It's the, like, the, the southwest of the country. Mm-hmm. In a place called Bantry. In a place called Bantry, a town called Bantry. Mm-hmm. And I did that again this year, and it's a really great festival. Uh, it's a festival of chamber music. So for people who don't know, that's work in the, the classical tradition involving solo or very small numbers of players. String quartets, um, duets, trios, that kind of thing. Whoa, whoa, hold on, hold on. Involving solo? Can a solo performer be called a chamber musician? Not strictly speaking in, in some contexts, but for the purposes of 
uh, like a festival of chamber music. Oh. Yeah, you'd have solo works as well. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Sorry, I was confused. Yeah, there. yeah, okay. Uh, yeah. Cool. So it's not it's not chamber music the skill, but it can be like if you're going to be having like a load of chamber music, you'd probably find some solo players. Right, grand, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. Uh, how how was the festival? How did the rank uh, match up to previous years? Uh, yeah, marvelous. I was, I mean, I, I was working at it. I was kind of working more than I'd worked previous years. But it was it was good, and it's a wonderful surroundings. It's a, it's a really really beautiful part of the world. It's it's absolutely gorgeous down there by the sea and mountains behind you. Yeah, um, a, a mutual friend of ours who is uh, particularly skilled at photography put up some pictures, and yeah, it, it looks stunning. I've never been, mm-hmm. but it looks absolutely stunning down there. Yeah, and lovely food. Um, you know, really fresh seafood. Uh, yeah, I had a really good time. Cool, very good, very good one. So so does your travel. Where did your travels take you after that? Well, I, I had to leave a day early. Oh, no. I missed the last day of the festival because oh, I was going so I was going to another event in Dublin, huh. uh, which is where I saw Rajugu Gabriel. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. So I got up real early and I'd been like working, working late, you know, like 10 days in a row and getting up early 10 days in a row. So I was exhausted at the end of this. Mm-hmm. And I had to get up super early to get, um, to, to get into Cork City. To get back up to Dublin. And because I'd been working so hard, I hadn't really planned what I was doing. And the whole thing was was a bit of a mess. And I was in a really bad mood. Aww. And I went to the train station to get, a, to get a train to Dublin. And it was going to be like 70 quid or something. Because <sighs> it was super expensive. And I was like really tired and stressed. And the woman at the desk was like, oh, well, you can get it cheaper if you go and buy one online. And wait, you can get any... Wait, no. That's, that's false. Why? Because you can only get it cheaper if you book, like, a couple of days in advance of your journey. Well, she said it would be, like, 72 to buy it at, at the desk and, like, maybe 60-something to get it online. And I could get, like, a 4 o'clock train, but use that ticket on any train, was what she said. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, and then I went to try and do that, and I was trying to do it on my phone to book one online, and it wouldn't work... And then I was trying to make me book a specific seat. So I queued again and went back up to her. And she was really rude to me. Uh, she was like, oh, you're not you, you're not getting it, are you? And she spoke to me like it was really thick. And she like tapped her head as though, I, you know, like you're stupid. So that was very upsetting. And then I tried it again. And then I got really angry and I went and I got a bus instead. And it was like half the price. And I just slept anyway. So it didn't matter. And I was able to charge my phone and everything. So, um, yeah, that was my unpleasant Irish Rail experience. The, the the lady was really nasty to me. Okay, can I can I just riff off the Irish Rail thing for a second? Yeah, De- Dear listeners, Cork to Dublin is like, what is it? What would that be? Like a two, two and a half hour train journey? Maybe? Two and a half to three hours, yeah. Two and a half to three hours. Just, just listen to what Bill said there. It's 70 euro, right, to do that. That is like the most outrageous price ever. Our train system in Ireland is shockingly expensive now admittedly it's not like england's train system because that england's the, the cost of english trains is 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 huge but irish irish trains are not not great as well the the problems bill had sorry bill i'm just ignoring you and talking to the internet the problems bill had with the app and all that are like just are, are like i have to deal with that oh, no no not with the app because the app you can't book tr- tickets with you can only look at times you can't book tickets with the app Nope. Oh, well, okay, this is, I was about to say, I was about to go on and say that the app is inept and doesn't really function, so there, that just proves my point. <laughs> uh, it's just, 
and then the the rude the rude staff. Now I get that there's nice staff as well, but I've had like confrontations with staff at, at Irish Rail as well, and they've been really like hideously awful. I had one lad like like shove me up, push me over. Oh. Yeah, yeah, I was going for a train. I was, uh, the train was, was uh, about to leave like in something like a minute or two and I was legging it trying to reach for the door and as I try and like lunge through the closing doors, this, this staff member just basically puts a hand on my chest and forces me back and I end up falling over and I was like, what are you doing, man? You can't do that. And they just gave me an earful and I went and complained. You can't assault me. Yeah, yeah, I know, right? And I went and complained and they were like, oh, he's just doing his job because you see the doors close a minute before the train leaves. Oh, that's the thing as well. The train was still standing there while I was being pushed away. And they were like, yeah. the doors close a minute before it leaves. So you weren't allowed on. And I was like, fine, man. But like, he can't do that to me. <laughs> So I had to file a complaint and no one cared. No one was even in the least bit like remorseful. Like just out of like common courtesy, someone might go like, we're sorry that the quality of the journey has been lessened due to this. How can we help you? It was just kind of like I was seen as a big inconvenience to everyone. The, 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 the whole company and the whole rail network in Ireland is the most like inept, awfully run terribly ignorant thing I've ever come across and I hate it with every fibre of my being so I I say this with 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 all the sincerity I can muster Bill when I say I'm really sorry for you that company like oh <sighs> anyhow I'm sorry no that's that's entirely fine it's <laughs> entirely fine so I, I, so you got back up to Dublin and then did your journey end there or or is there more <laughs> No, no, there's more. <laughs> what did you so, do next? So I'd been living, like, out of my bag for ten days. So I had, you know, <laughs> ten days of clothes and, like, stuff um, in a big kit bag. And I was like, I'm gonna, I am gonna, was going to a concert that night. And it'd be fine, I'll get up and I'll find a hostel. There's a bunch of hostels that I, I usually try and stay in when I'm, when I'm in Dublin. Um, it should be fine. And it was not fine, Edgar. <laughs> let, let me tell you, it was not fine. Okay, because, because not only was the concert I was attending on that night, also Beyonce was on that night. Oh, no. There was not a single hostel bed to be found in the entirety of Dublin City. There was no room in the inn, Bill. There was no room in the inn for poor pregnant Mary. Um, so what did, so what did you do? I moped around Dublin for about like an hour and a half or two hours carrying my massively heavy bag um, that I'd been living out of for 10 days. And I eventually found a hostel where you could leave your bag for like a fiver, even if you weren't staying there. Oh, that's a hand. That's a nice little service. It was. It was a very nice little service. And I thank them for it and I will patronize them again. But then I was fine. And uh, I stopped being sad, and I went to see the Stone Roses. Okay, so hang on, you seen Rodrigo Gabriela in Dublin, and then you also seen the Stone Roses in Dublin. Yes. Okay. All right. Jesus. Because they were at the same concert. They're at that. Would that make sense? And <laughs> <laughs> um, there were three acts. It was in Marley Park. Okay. Um, and it was Soak, who I don't know if you've heard of, and no. Rodrigo Gabriela and the Stone Roses. Yeah, I've only really heard of one of those bands, to be fair, so... Um. Oh, okay, well, Soak is... Um, 
I think she, I think, I think Soak is her rather than the band. Let me just check. Um, and I think she's from up north somewhere. Okay. And it's sort of dreamy kind of pop. Um, but it's got some quite like texture, like really kind of heavy textural bits. I, I really enjoyed what I heard. I didn't know any before I went to see, see them, before I went to see her. I enjoyed it a lot. And then Rodrigo Gabriela, we've talked about, mm-hmm. Mexican guitar players. And the Stone Roses are a Manchester band from the early 90s. Oh, yeah. I don't know who they are. Oh, yeah. They're fantastic. They're really, really good. Okay. All right. They're really, really good. And they're all, like, really old. Like, they're all, like, in their 50s and stuff now. And, so you know, they, they don't look... I mean, like, for, for pop stars, you know, <laughs> they were they were famous over 20 years ago. And they're not, like, in, in the best of shape because they're, you know, they're kind of staggering around on stage a bit but it was like really really good and it was one of the best atmospheres I've ever had in, in a concert like everyone was just super into it cool. um, and like everyone was singing along and there was just like a really nice atmosphere and yeah cool. so that was yeah that was that was really really good everyone was wearing bucket hats and I felt really left out that I didn't have a bucket hat why was everyone wearing bucket hats? Is I guess that was just kind of like the look at the time like when they were around first like in the early 90s. Oh, wait, hang on. You, maybe you need to define bucket hat for me. I'm thinking of like uh, a KFC bucket turned over and put on your head. No, not no, not like bucket hat. <laughs> so what what's a bucket hat? <laughs> I will send you I will send you a Google just Google image bucket hat, man. <laughs> man I'm, I'm, you're the Googler. I don't Google for fear of everything crashing. Okay, I'm gonna give it a shot. But if the if the if... no no okay, it's fine. I'm fine. I'll no, send no, it to you. No no no, I'm doing it. It's fine. <laughs> bucket, bucket hat. If this podcast crashes, man, it's completely your fault. Ah, okay. It's the I'm going fishing hat. Yeah, kinda. Yeah. Oh, Bill wanted a bucket hat. Bill, I'll tell you this now for free, man. I don't think bucket hats would suit you. No, hats don't suit me. My head's too big. I can't find hats to fit me. <laughs> it's, it's too big. It is. My head, I've got like a physically large head. Do as, you? As, well, I mean, I find it hard to find hats that fit me. Like hats in hat shops don't really fit me most of the time. <laughs> All right. Okay. That's interesting. I've never had this problem, uh, to be fair. you don't have a physically large head. No, I guess not. <laughs> I guess it's just like the rest of me. It's all petite and dainty. Yeah, you're, you're only wee. <laughs> so you were sad about not having a bucket hat you wanted to be in with all the cool kids but I'm assuming that they accepted you as one of their own they didn't like berate you or anything no they didn't berate me good that no one, one berated that's, me that's nice that's good yeah uh, so what happened after that then I went back into Dublin and I got my bag back from the hostel and I got a bus home to Carlo and everything was fine <laughs> well you have to finish with the end man Jesus Alexander, earlier he finished his story with the end, so I think you Oh right. I think you have to finish your story at the end. So let's take that second line again. That last line again. Uh so I went back to the hostel and got my bag back and I got a bus and then a taxi home and everything was fine. The end. Yes. Excellent. When you uh, said finish with the end, I didn't know you had like quotation marks around the end. So like I did finish with the end. That's where the story ends. Like I mean, just <laughs> Oh no, but Bill, I was doing I was I was doing air quotes like. Oh, thank you. Yes, I didn't see you do the air quotes. How foolish of me. 
And in case anyone doesn't get that, we don't see each other when we do the podcast. <laughs> no, it's, it's audio Skype only. I'm sick of looking at you. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. You know what? You have ruined Skype for me. I can't, like, well, I, I do it with, with, with my girlfriend. Uh, but other than that, it's very hard to visual Skype people. Like, really? this, this is comfortable, the audio thing. Uh, but when someone's there looking at you, it's very, very strange. <laughs> I find it very hard to deal with. Jeez, Bill, I, fl- I flew halfway across the world and I don't have half as much to talk about as you. That's crazy. It was an awesome time. That's, that's amazing. Making the most of the summer, man. That's really cool. Making the most of the summer. And then I've just been playing video games otherwise. I have... Oh, okay. Let me... Hold on. Let me just take a note of that. We might I might bring that up in a second. Completely not on the show notes, but there you go. Uh... I nearly died on the way home from Korea. Nearly died on the way home from Korea? I did. I nearly died. I know, right? I nearly died over Siberia. That's nearly happened to me. It just popped into my head there. I forgot to say this earlier. I had the worst return flight ever. Like, no e- like ever. And I, I'm, I'm scared of flying. We've established this in previous podcasts. Edgar is terrified of everything. Flying is up there with one of my strongest fears. I don't fly very well. And... I had a 14-hour stopover in Osaka, Japan, overnight. Oh, dear. That was awful. <laughs> That's going the wrong direction. Yeah, it is. That's the worst thing about it. It's kind of like you're standing there, you're sitting there going, it's the middle of the night, there's no one here, I'm on my own, I'm really hungry, and I'm not getting any closer to home. <laughs> oh, was that where the abandoned airport was that you were the only person in it yes i put up a thing that was in osaka okay for for listeners i put up a little sort of facebook video on my personal feed uh on my personal page of me just being in an airport on my own there was no one else in the airport great crack but anyhow so i had that sleepless because i didn't sleep so 14 hours straight you'd like didn't sleep got on the plane plane was delayed for ages and then we got up into the air and I have never experienced turbulence like what was on that flight. It was like the the plane was violently like jolting up and down. And there was like people like people being people were really anxious. And there was like stewardesses falling all around the place. You could hear at the backs like things coming loose and clattering all around. And I, 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 I there was a kid sitting across the way from me. And I turned to his friend and was like, are we going to die? And it was like, it was like that bad. And logically, I realized that it's very hard for a plane to crash from turbulence. I get that. And I get that the stresses the wings can be under before they fail is huge. And nothing like what can ever occur in normal flying conditions. But Mm -hmm. nevertheless, for about 45 minutes to an hour, all up the stretch of North Korea and across the... Uh, top for of Siberia. 45 minutes to an hour yeah for, uh, 45 minutes an hour I at oh, one Jesus. point and I didn't even check like at the very start like it had gone on and then I was like this is going on for a long time so I on the headrest I checked the time and the location of where we were and then like 45 minutes later I checked again and we were still in turbulence <laughs> Oh, God. It was the worst thing. And then I landed in Paris. Okay, I flew. So it was uh, Korea to Japan to Paris. Landed in Paris. Was very, very hungry. And bought the cheapest sandwich I could find, which came in at, and I I kid you not, 11 euro for a sandwich. (laughs) I I went to so many vendors and nothing was cheap. Everything was like extortionate. On the upside, I was congratulated for being Irish by numerous people. 
numerous French people working there were all like, hey, what, where do you come from? And I'm like, Ireland. And they're like, oh, your come. fans, yeah, at the football, yeah. your fans at the European Championships were amazing. Congratulations on being part of that amazing thing. And I was like, thanks. Um, I didn't have much to do with it. And wasn't the, me, but I'll take your thanks. I'll take uh, your for, thanks. For context for... for um, international and particularly non-european listeners the uh euros championships was recently which is like the the mm. europe-wide uh, soccer championship and it was held in france and there was a whole thing about the irish fans going around france being really fun and really nice as opposed to you know the typical view of soccer fans particularly english soccer fans um being football hooligans and you know causing fights and you know, fighting with with fans from other countries and things. The Irish are just going around partying and rescuing lost kittens and fixing people's cars and things. Yeah, so... And it was was all over Facebook. There was loads of videos of it and stuff on Facebook. There was, what was it? There was, uh, yeah, there were a group of Irish lads fixed the, uh, that elderly couple's car. Uh, What was another event? Oh, they, they, a a group of Irish fans sang a lullaby to a baby on a train. And then they, they, they also serenaded a nun... Uh, and a random girl and lots of antics with like uh, just sports in the streets they were overall they were just really great <laughs> they are amazing um, so yeah I was congratulated for being Irish then we got on a city jet plane uh, Bill which flew me from Paris to Dublin and that was a little bit better but not a lot uh, in terms of turbulence I had the worst trip back so there you go that sounds bad it was what was it, in what was in your eleven euro sandwich? Uh oh, I think I believe it was ham and cheese. I can't really remember. That's boring. Like you know, it was a really eleven euro. Well, yeah, Bill, I went for the cheapest one I could find. <laughs> I was Honestly, like, at that rate, if I was going to be spending like eleven euro on <laughs> a, a cheap, boring sandwich, I might as well spend like thirty quid on a good burger. <laughs> Actually, oh god, I, they didn't have like. Uh, Fast food places, but I, I, I hate to see what they, what they cost like. It's ridiculous. Do you know, do you know what's an interesting fact, Bill? Do you know what the most expensive city in the world is? For expats? Uh, no, they're just expensive, as in you land and try to purchase something in that city. I don't know. Uh, maybe give me some clues in a minute. I, I do know that a few years ago, the most expensive place for foreigners to live was Luanda in Angola. That's the one, yeah. Okay, there we go. <laughs> uh, what is it? The uh, the thing I found out recently was that a sandwich there is about 20-something euro. That's amazing. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's crazy. That's how we make our millions, Edgar. <laughs> we move to Angola and become sandwich magnets. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I, don't, I, must, I must read up on the culture surrounding why that happened. Because, I mean, like, not to belittle Angola, but why Angola? <laughs> like, you'd imagine it would be, like, Tokyo or New York, but, like, Luanda, Luanda from Angola? Like, I, it's weird, strange. Yeah, I don't think it has, like, a huge oil industry or anything. And, I mean, it, like, Angola was at war, had a civil war for, for ages and ages and ages. Yeah. Maybe it just had, maybe it had a huge boom after the war. I don't know. I have a friend living in Luanda. Do you? Yeah. Oh, would you would you pick their brains about this? Possibly. <laughs> okay, because <laughs> it'd be interesting to to uh, to find out. That's, that's and also a very interesting place to go. 
Hey, can I ask? Can I ask? Do you know why your friend moved there? Because they're Angolan. Because they're Angolan. Okay. <laughs> All right, that makes sense. Oh wait, no. So so they they always were from that from from that city. No, 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 no. Oh we no. To school together. Oh, okay, okay. There you go. Expensive sandwiches. That was the best part of that trip. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, so what is left on our thing to do? Now, uh, oh, wait, actually, no, sorry, sorry, sorry. Before you say it, we have a very, very important thing to talk about on our show note, show notes, but it is coming up close on two hours of recording. So, I have a proposition, Bill. Yeah. Given the, the uh, weight of the topic that we should be discussing next, could we perhaps record that in its own episode? Okay, yeah, if you want. Because uh, otherwise, this could turn into like a three-hour-long show. Okay, so we'll we'll do one more topic and then leave it at that. Um, or maybe do some green room or something, and then today's purported main topic will become a, a different a different podcast. Will become its own thing, yeah. Because I think maybe okay. that should merit its own thing, you know. Okay, cool. Uh, so what do we have left on? Oh, you're arbiter of the show notes. What have we got I, left I am. to do, Bill? Stop muscling into my territory. Um, all we have left is plug corner. Uh, we also sorry you gave me some news about some friends of yours doing something interesting. You wanted to talk about. Yeah, I did. Sorry, that's on 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 the show notes. Um, <laughs> Muscle into your territory. <laughs> yeah, back off, man. Uh, so, if we've got any um, people of Artifexia, I'm going to take that again. Um, <laughs> so, if we have any Artifexia fans who like to play board games, two friends of mine are about to launch their first board game. Oh, cool. Uh, the Kickstarter should be up. If not by time of release of this podcast, then shortly afterwards. It's The, the company is called Turtle Dream Games. Awesome. And, well, you can put a link to their Facebook and everything and their website in the show notes. And uh, the first game that they're going to release is called Exquisite Beast. Exquisite Beast. Yes, it is. Okay. Exquisite Beast. And it is, I think it's for two to four players, where each player uh, takes on the role of a mad scientist trying to build a monster. You know, Dr. Frankenstein trying to make a Frankenstein's monster kind of thing. Ooh. And you have to compete against each other, and you have to collect different body parts. And there's a timer uh, until when the storm strikes, and it gives you the electricity to animate your monster. And then you send your monster out in the world to harass the villagers etc etc huh and the art is fabulous and i haven't played it myself yet but it's it's been it's been play tested over the last couple of months and i'm hoping to get a stab at it this weekend cool. um, after recording and yeah all all the the links and everything will be put in the show notes and the kickstarter should be launching in the very near future so I'm going to make a wild assumption that some of our listeners might be into <laughs> board games um, and say uh, that you should check this out because I think it's going to be a very good product. Definitely cool. And I, I think I've said this before on the show. I, I'm a big fan of trying to help out mates, of, like friends of the show, mm-hmm. you know? So I'm totally for this. Like, go go show your love to Bill's mates there and make it awesome. Yeah, be aw- don't forget to be awesome, lads. <laughs> um, on the subject of board games, Bill, mm-hmm. 
Uh, how are like? Do you have you got a favorite board game? Uh, well, you and I both love Scrabble, Edgar. We do both love Scrabble. We do. We do. Um, what other board games are there? I've I've played a couple of board games in the, in the last while with when I've gone over to see the art historian. Um, okay. The very good one called a Betrayal at the House in the Hill. Never heard of it. Uh, it's terrific fun. It's it's a collaborative board game. Oh no no you've no, you've lost me man. Well, b- bear with me, bear <laughs> with me. Where the the players are, are like investigating uh, a haunted house. So you know you're you're the Scooby Gang, seeing what's going on in. Are you you know you're the the teenagers from the horror film seeing what's going on in this in this haunted house, and you build the house as you go. It's kind of randomly built each time. Okay. Um, until a certain point in which something changes, and one of you becomes the bad guy, and then you have to fight against each other. Uh, okay. So basically, I've only played it the one time. And what happened was we were going along and whatever event triggered the change and the change is that one of them, one of the players became the werewolf and then the other players had to gang together to stop the werewolf. Okay. That's better than what I expected. Uh, My trepidation there is that I, I find collaborative board games just tedious and just awful to play. Hate them. But yeah, if it goes into competitive mode, yeah, no, that that sounds interesting. Sounds interesting. I recommend it. I enjoyed it a lot. Um, I haven't played a lot of board games to be honest. Um, I've only played Settler of Catan once in Polish. No, um, you've only played. Hang on, because the whole reason why I asked about board games was to talk about Settlers. You've only played it once, Bill. I've only played it once in Polish. Oh, oh Bill, the I, Polish... I've only played it once in any language, and the one time I played it, I played it in Polish just to. The Polish clear thing. up any possible ambiguity there. <laughs> the Polish thing is pretty cool, to be fair. Uh, but oh, I can't believe you only played it once, man. We if we ever see each other again in person, we we should play some settlers. I'm looking at the box right in front of me. I could bring it up and we have a game. Um, cool. Although we do need, sorry, we need the we need extra people. Uh, my one criticism of settlers: you need three people. And yes, internet. I know, I know of settlers for two people. It's okay. Fine, I know, I, I know, it, it exists. But you don't like it. From what I gather, it's like a card game, which doesn't really appeal to me. I am thinking at some stage, Bill, of just buying all of the expansion packs for Settlers and having a big, massive, giant Settlers board uh, and playing that. I kind of really want to do that. Take um, over a room in your house and make it the, the Catan room. Yeah, who needs a bedroom? Who needs to sleep? Who needs that? You can just have the Catan room. <laughs> But there you go. Uh, Scrabble and Settlers, my two favorite board games. Not very original, not very out there, but I, I really do adore those two board games. Yeah, Scrabble was great. And of course, Exquisite Beasts. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, should we? Do you want to do flag corner? Uh, yeah. Do, do you have Do you have a wonderful flag for me to? Oh, Edgar. Oh, Bill. Fr- I don't know. Maybe you didn't see this, but a friend of mine posted up a thing a, f- a few days ago that I tagged you in, but maybe you couldn't see the tag because it was it was for his friends list only. I, I wasn't tagged in anything by you, so no. Oh, okay, well, a friend of mine put up a picture, and the caption of the picture is, why are we still making flags when Gilles has already been made? <laughs> <laughs> I commented on that saying, Edgar, I told you so. Uh... 
<laughs> That's hilarious, but I'm not conceding the point. It's an awful flag. It's a marvellous flag. Uh, you know what the funny thing is? I'm not alone. We have received emails before being like, Edgar, you're right. Which is nice. But it's cool to see that in the wild. And this is a no relation to the podcast or anything. No, no, it was just a friend of mine had seen the flag of Zelezhnogorsk and he recognised it for the marvellous creation that it is. The work of sheer, unadulterated, <laughs> deadly. Yeah, but like, can I just make the point here, right? The atomic bear science flag, right? Like, it's a fun flag, okay? Like, it's really fun and it's like, and all of that. But in terms of like, lads, this is a real flag, it just doesn't work. In terms of lads is a real flag, it is clearly the best lads this is a real flag. Because look no, at it. No, 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 clearly, clearly the best flag that, to be fair, it isn't made, but it should be made, is a flag you came up with, Bill. What was that? Nordic Libya. Is that a, a green cross and a green background? Yeah. <laughs> That's the best flag ever. Uh, anyhow, so, of course, it's not the Libyan flag anymore. No, they've, they've upgraded it to a real flag, which... I don't know. Like, the original Libyan flag was obviously terrible, but it's kind of like, I liked it for that, you know? It had a certain charm. It did. It was just green. Like, there was, it's a no-nonsense sort of thing. It's like, you know what you're going to get with, with Libya. In any case, Bill, in any case, Bill, sorry. Like, uh, should we do, should we do Fat Corner? Yeah, let's. Okay, I, I don't want to send you a link just quite yet. Okay. Mainly because I think you know this flag. Uh, so this is very much just a, a conversation with the listeners, more than anything else. Uh, this is the Lasenia Bermea, Lasenia Bermea from the Zamora province in Spain. I do not think I know it, no. Okay, alright, okay, I'll send you the link, I'll, I will send you the link, so you can see it. I'm going to send you a link to a big write-up on it, on Imager, uh, which is going to be relevant. Okay, well this looks stupid. Okay, right, now, it's it's actually great, right? <clears throat> okay, so, for the listeners. The La Seña Bermea, now, I'm going to pronounce, I'm pronouncing that totally wrong, so I'm really, really sorry, is not a flag, okay? okay? It's a pendant, apparently. Again, possibly pronouncing it wrong, P-E-N-D-O-N. It's something that's more akin to, like, a medieval standard. Okay. Right? And it is really cool because in its in its ancient form, in its medieval form, it was not a unified piece of cloth. It was nine stripes, nine strips of cloths, not connected, tied okay. independently to the to the pole. Okay, and so the, how this came about, it's really fascinating. Is that there's this guy in the early BC, like a like hundred BC or something like that. Uh, he was a, like a military general or something. And he, when fighting off Roman invasions, when he defeated them, he would take a strip of red, of their red cloaks, and then keep it for himself and display it as a sign of victory. Oh, that's pretty cool. So he tied them onto this thing, and apparently he must have had eight victories, uh, or the the Zamora province in Spain must have had eight victories, because there's eight red strips and there's also yeah. one green strip, right? Because the Zamoran, yeah. this, this place did a great act of charity for a neighboring, neighboring uh, area. And King Ferdinand the Catholic presented the, the province with uh, a green strip to go on their flag as well. So okay. that's that the idea of the standard, like the flailed standard, amazing. So cool, so amazing. And then they messed it all up by trying to make it into a flag. 
What was the green? What was the great act of charity? Uh, they just helped out someone during a time of war. Like they came to the aid of a neighboring town. Oh, okay. It was uh, what was it? The uh, during the Battle of Toro. When was that? Fourteen seventy-six. Okay, so that was part of the Reconquista or something. I wonder. You're the expert in this, not me. I wouldn't know. Battle of Toro. Let's find out. <laughs> so, listeners, while Bill while Bill is googling, they took this flailed standard, like think of it as eight red strips tied independently to a pole, and then a green strip tied independently to a pole. They took this and tried to flagify it, and by doing so, what they've done is they've kind of like put the nine strips on like a white background and it doesn't quite fit in the white background and it's like the white background like separates the strips to try and like give the sense that they were independent and it looks stupid (laughs) it looks awful and then there's also a variation where it's like a black background so you have like eight or nine strips on a black background terrible looking right Mm. but that's not even the worst part bill you know what the worst part is? Their coat of arms, right? Scroll down on the link I sent you to their coat of arms. Oh, dear. Now, now, really quickly, can you see anything in there that strikes you as being immediately wrong? Not aesthetically displeasing, because there's a lot of that, but actually just wrong. The the hand has five fingers and a thumb. The hand has six fingers! Yes, it has six digits! <laughs> That's the thing I was saying earlier. The hand has too many fingers. The hand has way too many fingers. (laughs) And there's another, there's another mistake. Can he spot it? Um, Oh, is there too many red strips? Is there the wrong number of strips in the, in the thing? One, two, three, (laughs) five, six, seven, eight. Nine, ten, <laughs> eleven red strips, and then a twelfth green one. Okay, so um, yeah, to make absolutely sure for listeners, so whoever here, designed this can't <laughs> can't count. <laughs> so the, again, for the listener, the original standard was eight red strips and a green strip. The person who made the coat of arms has uh, how much? How many? How many red strips did you say? On the coat of arms, I think there's 11 red strips and then the 12th one is green. So 11 red strips and one green strips. They misrepresented the flag of the area their coat of arms is meant to be about. And on top of it, the dude holding the pole has six digits. Like, that segment of that coat on of arms... On one hand. On one hand is an absolute write-off. <laughs> and it's, it's really disproportionate as well. Like, his forearm is way too short. <laughs> Like, it's not pretty. Like, it is not a good, it is not a good look at all. And overall as well, like, it's just not a nice looking coat of arms. But that's, that, that section, that left section is just completely awful. Despite this, right, there's, there's a saving thing about this whole thing, right? Mm-hmm. Two things. Number one, different areas in this province have, are, are so, they feel such an affinity for this standard that they've kind of used it as a design influence for all of their flags. So you have this great sense of like design community going on. And it like, it seems to have like pervaded the culture in that region of Spain, whereby like the flag creeps into pop culture. Like there's apparently a superhero. If you scroll down, you'll see it. There's a superhero whose, whose design is based on the flag. 
that's pretty cool. Which is amazing. And I think, and on a serious note, and this is why I wanted to bring up the flag, it's that like people often say like, why do you care about flags? Like, what's the point? They're just silly. Like, no one cares. Tied to a flag, tied to a good flag, can be an awful lot of like civic pride. Like, mm-hmm. it can be a thing where people can get behind, and you know, you can identify behind this this flag, and it can inform your culture and all of these sort of things. This, I think, is a great example of that. It's a really interesting standard that became a not-so-interesting flag, but but nonetheless, people got behind it, and then they, like, started using that and, like, drew a sense of community from it. I think it's great. I'll put the links to the thing I sent Bill. You should read up all about what this guy says about his, his flag. It's great. It's amazing. So there you go. Awesome. Not not so much flag corner. Well, it is flag corner. It's good standard flag coat of arms corner. Yeah, flag with a cool background. Flag with a cool with a flag with a cool background. Like a cool history, oh, not yeah, background yeah, I, as in design background. I yeah, mean I was background like, as in backstory. Yeah, I was like, Bill, that white background is part of the problem, not the solution. <laughs> oh, I want to promote. I want to propose a solution. Just one last thing though. This one here, oh, yeah. where it's where it's the white, like when it doesn't have the kind of the peaks at the end, where it's just the rectangle, the the red stripes, the one green stripe, and the white background, mm-hmm. as in background of the flag. That looks like a tablecloth. It looks like it, <laughs> it does. <laughs> oh, it does. But to be fair, that's not something uh, vexological vexologicers. I can't even say it. Flag makers shy away from, like you know, all the county flags from Ireland. The unofficial county flags. They're all just checkered. Like yeah, the, yeah, the sports yeah. flag. You know, that, that's not that bad. It's more that they've kind of failed to misrepresent the awesomeness of what the standard was. Yeah. You know what I think they should have done? Now, I'm, I'm no flag maker, but why don't they have the solid bit of cloth and then at the end cut, cut it to imply that, that it is segmented? Just cut yeah. it a little bit. Like, I get that there's a fraying issue there. But I mean, like, there's so much history embedded in the fact that it's not a single bit of cloth that I think it's, you know, we kind of live in a sort of post-scarcity environment relative to, like, the 15th century. (laughs) So, I mean, like, we should be able to fork out for new flags every so often. That would be, like, they 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 should have the European version of the Nepal flag, where you have bits sticking out to imply that it's flayed. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Edgar solves all the world's problems. So, a bit of a spin on on, on flag corner there. It's not as shit as uh, as some previous ones, but it's awesome. I wanted to bring it up. All right, Bill. Edgar. Two hours, 11 minutes. That's not bad. <laughs> Considering we didn't even get near the main topic. That's yeah, fine. <laughs> okay, so will we... Uh, seeing as this entire podcast has essentially been one giant green room, <laughs> shall we not go to the green room and maybe call it here for today. Yeah, sounds good to me. Uh, listeners, I will hopefully nab Bill if he's free relatively soon after this recording. And we will hopefully record this like part two for this episode and have that up ASAP as well. Almost as an apology for being very late with this episode. <laughs> get, back, get back on track, get back up on the schedule. Get back up on the schedule. All right, okay, Bill. Edgar. It's been, it's been too long and I missed you, man. It was a pleasure talking to you. Likewise, of course. Likewise, of course. It's been good to catch up. Well, I'll see you next time and I'll see all the listeners in the comments on the subreddit. Yeah? See us there. All right. All the best, Bill. Edgar out. Edgar out.
Jack the Ripper is kind of suggested by the title, but I like the show in that it doesn't ever actually directly deal with Jack the Ripper. Oh, so it's like a real clickbaity uh, title for a TV show. 